What do you think about downsizing? There are many ways to do it and plenty of places you can look to for wisdom and advice for how to downsize. But one of the ways that you can downsize is by first buying a book teaching you how to downsize. There's a little irony in that. You're trying to get rid of stuff, and the first step you do is buy something, another item, to help you get rid of more things. But as you downsize, it takes a lot of work. Every individual item needs to be assessed. You ask, do I want this? Do I need this? Do I use this? Or is there a potential that I might need this in 25 years? It can be draining. On the other hand, it can also be life-giving. Downsizing reduces the clutter in your life and gives you more space. It gives you more margin. It gives you more freedom in your life. There are less things to worry about. Perhaps you've thought of downsizing before. Maybe you've never thought of it. Right now, I want you to take a moment and think about all the stuff that you have in your home. And if you own land, think of all the stuff that you have in storage sheds and around the house and laying in the yard and all that stuff. If you've recently moved, it might not be too hard for you. You might still remember what's in what box. But for those of you who haven't moved in a while, it might take you a little longer to think about all the stuff that you've accumulated over however many years it's been that you've lived in your place. Now think about getting rid of all of that stuff. Moving and starting over from scratch. Just the very thought of it might raise your anxiety level. And I'm guessing it probably increases the longer that you've been in one place. You start thinking of all the stuff that you've accumulated over the years. And even more so, if the place where you're living was a place that was promised to you or given to you by your family or your grandparents or it's been in your family for a long time. Though Jacob didn't have the luxury of only living in one place all of his life, he had been living where he was for quite some time. He's 130 years old at the time of our text, when the wagons come up to pick him up, to move him. He's about to be uprooted to leave the land that was promised to him. Was this the right thing to do? Should he leave this land? It was promised to him. Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 46 and hear what the Lord has to say to Jacob. Genesis chapter 46, I'll be reading verses 1 through 7. And I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Genesis chapter 46, beginning at verse 1, reading in Jesus' name. So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. And Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth today. Open up our hearts to receive the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's another famine here in the land. 
Abraham went through a famine. Isaac went through a famine. And now it seems to be Jacob's turn to go through a famine. He's told that his son Joseph, the one that he thought was dead for many years, is actually alive and is in a position of authority in Egypt. Joseph was at such a rank that Pharaoh himself sent wagons to get his dad, his brothers, and all of their families and to bring them to the best of the land in Egypt. The offer seemed too good to be true. Jacob didn't have to pay for movers. He didn't have to provide food for his own journey. He didn't have to worry about where he would settle or how he would live through the famine that the rest of the world is going through. All that he would need would be provided for him. There's just one problem. It's in Egypt. Egypt isn't the land that the Lord promised to give to Jacob and his descendants. Egypt is the land that was or Egypt isn't the land that was promised to his father and his grandfather. In fact, it was the very land that they were told not to go to. So is it really okay for Jacob to leave this land of promise, to leave the land of his father and his grandfather, and to go in search of greener pastures to Egypt of all places? Does this show a lack of faith on Jacob's part? As Jacob is leaving a promised land, he stops at Beersheba to offer sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Beersheba is a special place. It was one of the places where Abraham, Jacob's grandpa, called on the name of the Lord, and the Lord came and spoke to Abraham. Abraham dug a well there, and he made a covenant with the king of the land, Abimelech, and he lived in that land peacefully. It was a place where Jacob grew up, and now he's back here again, sacrificing to the Lord. And there at Beersheba, that same Lord that spoke to his father and his grandfather speaks also to him, speaks to Jacob saying, Jacob, Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you a great nation there. There were plenty of things that Jacob could have feared in Egypt. Breaking God's will would have ranked up towards the top. But also he's 130 years old. Is he even able to make the trip down there? Would he survive the journey? Would he be able to adjust to a new land, to new customs? Would it really be as good as he was told? What would happen to the promise that he is seemingly turning his back from and walking away every step he leaves the land of Canaan? Would the Egyptians welcome him and his family? None of these hesitations are given in Scripture. They're all speculation. But it's good for us to remember that Jacob is a real or was a real person just like you and me. What would you fear if you were in Jacob's shoes? Leaving everything you are familiar with, moving to a foreign land with foreign gods and foreign customs. What would you fear? It's the middle of the night and you hear your child screaming, Mom! Dad! The first time you hear it, adrenaline rushes through your body. You jump out of bed to run and see what the problem is. And you stand outside your child's door and ask, what's wrong? In a quiet, terrified voice through sobs, you hear the admission, I'm afraid of the dark. Still standing outside the door, you speak to your child and you say, go back to bed. You're fine. Nothing's going to happen to you. And you go back to bed. And your child blissfully falls back asleep. The problem is solved once and for all, and you never experience that same thing again. You're laughing. Is that what happens? No, maybe the 50th or the 100th time that your child wakes up in the middle of the night, you might do that. But the first time, 
The first time that your child does that, you are terrified. You get out of your bed, you run into the door room, open up the door, you're right next to your child, and you assure your child nothing is going to happen. You're okay. And you might even crawl into bed with your child. And then your child falls blissfully back asleep, knowing that no harm can come. Why? Because mommy or daddy is here with me. God is here making the same promise to Jacob. As he's terrified, as he's wondering what's going to happen as he goes into Egypt. No matter where Jacob is, God promises that he would be with him. The Lord gives Jacob a reason not to fear. He speaks words of comfort to him, telling him not to be afraid, but not just telling him, don't be afraid. He goes further. As he speaks, he also acts. And he says to Jacob, I will go down with you into Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. The Lord assures Jacob here that he will be with him. The Lord isn't bound by some regional barrier like they thought back in the day. In those days, each land had their own gods, their own customs. And when you crossed over from one country into another country, you were no longer in that God's jurisdiction. As Jacob leaves the promised land, he's wondering, am I leaving your jurisdiction, God? Am I leaving your safety? Am I leaving your security? What will these Egyptian gods think of me and my family? The Lord assures Jacob that he would be with him. God isn't bound by some regional barrier that man makes up. Yes, he appeared at Beersheba, but he was also free to lead Jacob into Egypt. And he would be with Jacob. Wherever he goes, Jacob has no reason to fear, for the Lord is with him. If Jacob had any thoughts that leaving this promised land would be turning his back on the promise that God had made to him, the Lord addresses that issue too. He wouldn't forget the promise to make him a great nation, and he didn't abandon his promise. He would be faithful and still make him a great nation, even if it meant fulfilling this promise to Jacob while they were in Egypt, while they were in a foreign land, not the land of promise. No matter where Jacob was, God's promise followed him. And God himself went with him. God was there with Jacob in Egypt, there to bless him, there to protect him, there to take away his fears, there to make him a great nation. In verse 27, we read that there are 70 people in all that went down into Egypt. 70 people, Jacob and all of his family, numbers up to 70 people. In just a few centuries, as we read in the beginning of Exodus, that number would multiply exponentially to what scholars would estimate to be two and a half to three million people. From 70 people in just over 400 years to two and a half to three million people. The Lord was there fulfilling his promise, making them into a great nation. Not only does God promise to be with Jacob, but he also promised Jacob that he would bring him up again. And that he would indeed be reunited with his son, the one whom he thought had died years before. That's another promise given to Jacob to comfort him, to assure him, it's okay, I am with you. Picture the joy on his face when he finally gets to see his favorite son again. The one that he thought was dead. The one that he wondered, what would this son, my favorite son, grow up to be? And now, as he gets to see him again for the first time, he finds out his son, 
This one he thought was dead is not only alive, but he is second in command in all of Egypt. Do you ever wonder what your kids are going to amount to when they grow up? You think Jacob could have imagined his son being second in command over the nation of Egypt? This is the joy that Jacob gets to see again as he sees his son as God promises this to him. He would be together with him at last and up until the day that he died. God gave them 17 years together again. And the Lord kept this promise too. Joseph was there at Jacob's side when he breathed his last. What does this bringing him up again mean? Could it mean that Jacob would be brought back to the promised land, that Jacob would be brought back into Canaan? He dies in Egypt. He never saw that land again. His bones were brought back, though. Is this the fulfillment of the promise that God was speaking about? Or does it mean more than that? What does the Bible say? Through the rest of Scripture, Yahweh is described as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jesus himself quotes Moses speaking on behalf of the Lord in Matthew 22, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then he explains this statement by saying this. Jesus says to the crowds gathered there, he says, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus is saying to the crowds gathered there, referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, people who died 2,000 years before, and Jesus is saying, they're not dead. They're alive. You've got to wonder what everyone else was thinking, scratching their heads. No, but we know where their graves are. They are dead. People don't die and come back to life. And yet Jesus himself is saying, I am the God of the living, not the dead. He's saying that they are with God. That they are alive. Even in their death, the Lord did not abandon them, nor did he leave them or forsake them. Rather, he brought them to be with him. As he says in the text here, he brought them up. The Lord was faithful to his promise to Jacob. The Lord is always faithful. You see, there's a lot more going on in this story than an old man moving to his retirement home in Egypt. God's faithfulness is on full display. The God who has promised is faithful, and he has always been faithful. He doesn't change. Though this promise is given to Jacob, not to us, we still worship this same God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is our God too. And this God desires to be with you as well. He hasn't changed. Throughout Scripture and other passages, he promises to be with his people. So much so that he was willing to take on flesh and do it himself. So you remember Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus left the comforts of heaven to come down to this earth to live among men. And he walked with them, he talked with them, breathed, ate, slept, and even died here on this earth among sinners the entire time. In the midst of men and women and children, Jesus faced temptation. He was ridiculed and he was mocked. He was rejected and he was spat upon. Also that he could be here with us. And we didn't want him here. We wanted to kill him. He was persecuted and he was crucified. And all for what purpose? For what reason? Why did Jesus go through all of that? To be among us. And that we might be with him 
always. So that as it says in Hebrews, that we would have a great high priest, one who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, one who is tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. And so that having such a great high priest, we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in every time of need. Why did Christ do this? He did all of this so that he might be with us, with us in our trials, with us in our fears, with us in our own death, with us in our temptation, with us in our pleas for mercy to the throne of grace. I am with you always, Jesus promised. So fear not. Whatever you go through in this life, you will never face it alone. Christ died and rose again that he might truly be with us always. We don't need to fear where the Lord will lead us. He will not abandon us and always doesn't end when we take our last breath either. Always is always for all time. The Lord provided a place for Jacob in Egypt and the way in which he did it was significant. He does it through Jacob's son, the one that was dead and yet turns out to be alive. He prepared a place for him and for his whole family. In a similar way, the Lord has done the same thing for us. He has prepared a place for you. In John chapter 14, as Jesus is preparing himself for the cross, as he's preparing his disciples for what lies ahead in the near future, he tells them this. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. It's the same promise that was given to Jacob. I will be with you, and I will bring you up. I will raise you up. Christ prepared that place for us through his death and resurrection. He has removed the barrier between God and man, having made peace with the Father on our behalf, on your behalf. He has prepared a place for you, dear sinner. He has prepared, prepared a way and provided a way for God to see you, not for the sinner that you know you are, but for the saint that Christ, through his death and resurrection, makes you, and the Holy Spirit makes you as he sanctifies you and forgives you of your sin. And he himself will come and bring us back to that place. To the place where he will dwell with us for all eternity. Where we will dwell with him. He has prepared it. He has promised it. And he is with us. Later on, Jesus promised that he would send us the Holy Spirit. And he has. As the Holy Spirit comes to us through the word of God. As the Holy Spirit calls you to believe in Jesus, and not only does he call you to believe in Jesus, but he creates the faith, causing you to believe in him. And in doing so, he has sealed you for this very promise. He has sealed you with his inheritance so that you would be with him always. He who is promised is faithful. Just as the Lord kept his promise to Jacob as he sojourned in a foreign land, he is keeping his promise to you and to me. He is with us. There is no place where we can go here on this earth or above the earth or below the earth where we can flee from God's presence. God is continually keeping his presence and his promise. 
He promised Jacob would be brought up, and he was. God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, sealed with the promise that we too have the forgiveness of sins, that the Holy Spirit will raise us up and will raise up all the dead in Christ to live with him forever. So that whether we live or whether we die, we will be with the Lord. And there is nothing and there is no one that can take that away. God is faithful. Christ is with us. So do not be afraid. Wherever the Lord leads you as an individual believer, wherever the Lord leads us as a congregation, we need not fear, for God is with us, and he always will be. Whatever tomorrow brings, whatever the future has for us, Christ is with us, and he has already prepared a place for us through his death and resurrection, an eternal place, a place where moth nor rust will destroy, a place where we will be with him forever free of sorrow, free of pain, free of death. So do not be afraid, for God is faithful, and he is with you. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word and for its truth. We thank you, God, that in your word you have revealed to us promise after promise after promise, and you have kept every single one. Thank you for being the faithful God. Lord, help us to stand on your promises. Help us, Lord, to continue to look to your word and to what you have said in light of everything we experience in this life. Lord, in light of all of our fears, in light of all of our trials and temptations. Lord, in light of everything that we go through, help us to remember that you are with us in everything that you have done in order that we might be with you for all times, for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.